Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for staying. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast, for shining a light on bright ideas. It's Friday afternoon. I'm very excited. On the podcast today is the founder and CEO of Wayward Spirit, Emily Darchuk is here. I can't even wait. You're going to love her product, her packaging. If you go to Portland, you got to visit her. Emily, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Justin, it's so great to be here. I'm excited. Um, yeah, it's so cool. I, I'm really excited about you and your brand. I couldn't wait to get you on today. Um, man, I've been looking forward to it. And so, and I can't wait for our audience to meet you. So I've got to do this. Let's before we jump into product and this whole space of upcycling, right? Ingredients to make specialty spirits. I mean, what a cool idea. How about share a little bit of your background of what you were doing before launching the business? Yeah. So I've been in food and bev my whole career. Um, and that always really passionate about where food came from. And, and, you know, I just, it's, it's how I express my creativity. I and love that. that. Um, but before jumping into entrepreneurship, I was actually a product developer. So I kind of described my role as, you know, that translator of consumer needs into tangible products with science. So I was, you know, the person who would try to think of a new idea, do all the bench work, get all the feedback and figure out how to scale it. And, um, you know, for me, it was always passionate on natural food and beverages totally. and ag because there's a connection to your food system and the impact you can have and what you bring to market was always really exciting for me. But, you know, definitely, definitely well immersed with um, food and bev industry as a whole, but entrepreneurship was elite. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just a, such a hot space right now being, you know, cognizant of where product comes from, or even more importantly, the things that go into your product that you drink or eat, where they come from. And it's in the industry, such a hot topic. Um, and it ties into sustainability, ties into ethical commerce and so forth. Um, and it, cool that you were focused on this. How did you decide to go from, hey, I'm working in the industry. I've, I, I've, you know, these things are important to me to starting your own business. Yeah. So I, um, I, my master's in food science, um, worked, kind of went back, got that, worked again, um, wanted to make a personal investment in myself and, you know, move just purely technical, um, signed up for an MBA. I was doing innovation. Entrepreneurship was the focus together because I do innovation. I'm an innovator <laughs> and, you know, just taking that leap, um, and seeing things, it's like, Hey, through entrepreneurship, you can bring the innovation and the type of products and the type of companies you've always dreamt landed on your desk. You could actually be that problem solver totally. and create that change in the world. So just that kind of pressure cooker of focus, you know, getting out of your day-to-day -day job made you realize, Hey, there's transferable skills and a whole adventure awaiting. And that's kind of where I made the leap. And it was a slow roll and it got its traction. But, you know, that just, I think professional disruption was enough for me to be able to do that. I don't know if it would have happened if I didn't stop the day to day to do it. Got it's, it. A, it's a big leap. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Now, how did you decide, you know, what product you were going to focus on and, and where you'd begin? Yeah, so I kind of always knew about the whey waste problem. So for every one pound of cheese made, there's nine pounds of whey remaining. And it's just a pain point for cheese makers. 
less than about half of the over 100 billion pounds produced annually in the U.S. is fully utilized, um, and it's just a logistical burden to manage. And, you know, kind of seeing this firsthand and putting in a you know, my operations hat um, yeah. and thinking about things, it's like, hey, this waste isn't waste, it's just a gap in the food system. And I can take something highly perishable and turn it into something great. And at the same time, I'm looking at a new category I haven't worked in before. Like, even though I've done a lot in BIV, I hadn't done alcohol. Um, and I looked at the category and nothing was speaking that natural food ethos, that connection to source, that focus on your impact and that flavor and that origin. I didn't see that. And I thought, hey, here's that opportunity to be a bridge because I can technically do it. And I think I can add some value to the category as a whole, which is how I decide if I'm going to do something or not. Got it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you decide to get into the upcycled um, spirit space. Talk about this industry and what it looked like um, before you got in it. And, and, you know, what is the area that you thought you could really, you know, make an impact? Yeah. So essentially, the the crux of wayward spirit you know it's multifaceted you know we are proud to be a way-based spirit it's also that wayward mentality to do things differently for the right reasons for us to make a sustainable difference through our sourcing and the audacity to be a really sippable clear spirit with a flavor so instead sure. of a grain grape agave we're using this way and instead of stripping out all the flavor trying to taste like something else we're really giving that you know um a really well-rounded signature flavor to our drink. So there wasn't a lot of talk at all about upcycling. Traditionally, it's wow. traditional, right? Sure. You're focused on a lot of origin, historical products, um, things like that. There's really narrow categories as a whole. And we decided to make the best tasting product possible and to, you know, make a sustainable difference through upcycling. We actually had to be subcategory. Um, so we're, you know, especially spirit sure. um, versus a vodka and, you know, just bringing a lot of different narratives to the table. Like it's okay to be different with those flavors and it's okay to be different to talk about sustainability in a typical like vice type category um, <laughs> right. because it, it still is food and it right. still has an impact and you should care as much, if not more, about something you're spending $30, $40 on as you are spending 2 3 $4 on. Totally. Now, you said it was a slow roll to begin with. So where did you begin? Like, Because you knew the industry, but it's different to know the industry and like to make a and manufacture a product, right? Totally. So kind of just started a lot. Um, just getting our concept. Like, what is it? What is the value I'm bringing to the world? What are those key propositions with it? And for me, a big catalyst of that was like business competitions or business things. Got it. Like forcing yourself to be able to digest um, and distill, pun intended, I guess, um, <laughs> right. <There> you go. <laughs> what you're doing, why you're doing it and why someone should care in you know, a minute or whatever it is. Sure. And like some of those challenges kind of help bake in, you know, what the, what fundamentally you want to make. And then you kind of look you know, within the whole supply chain and figure out, okay, what is the scale I need to make it? And then sure. how do I need to do it from there? So I kind of tried to figure out what our core pro propositions needed to be. And I fit within the existing system because the hardest thing when you're upcycling is there's not an existing supply chain. You're creating Right. You have it. to create that. Right. 
Interesting. How do you work with your partners? And the best way to do it is understand their system and try to make what you need to do fit within the system because it's, you know, just creating that forward momentum to um, create that positive change. So I was lucky enough. I never thought I would use it, but I actually did my master's thesis in food science on mail calling. So like figuring out the logistics of the trucking and the sizes and things like that. So it's just this kind of like breadcrumb of discovery and, you know, it needs to be like this, but it can't be like this. And here's what I have available. And it just kind of slowly evolves based on the resources and what you know at the time. And I think that's a big principle of entrepreneurship. Like your company should drastically evolve over time. Like you're learning, iterating, going. So how long did it take from, hey, I'm going to start something to having an initial product in hand that you, you that was, I'll say, saleable? <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, I did a ton of, I, I mean, I did the R&D. So sure. I did a ton of the work on fermentation because um, I'm a big believer of garbage in, garbage out. So we wanted to like really try to figure out a great fermentation profile before even figuring out a co-packer um, or a partner or anything with distilling. So, you know, that was kind of a side work for a while and that's not a finished product, but it was a big part of getting it to where I want it to before I scaled further and that. So I'd say we had iterations going, um, you know, within six months or so of, you know, kind of the concept, but we didn't put product in market, you know, for well over a year, um, sure. almost two. Um, and that, and a lot of that is just figuring out the right place to produce it and, and, you know, all of those elements that go along with it. And so how did you figure that part out? I mean, I, and, and I always love to talk to beverage entrepreneurs because um, that that figuring out of, okay, I have an idea. Um, you may or may not know the mix to make that product, right? So how do you figure that out and how to find someone to help you with that? And then how do you find packaging, right, for that? And 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 so how did you sort through that? <laughs> um, it's almost... It's <laughs> so simple, right? I think it's, yeah. I forget what this saying is, like one closed door, window yeah, opens. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I feel like that's a lot of it, you know, like... You think it's going to be this way. You get so far, the bottom falls out. You have to pick yourself up. You figure out another location and you're actually like, this is better or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? With it. So for us, it was, you know, finding the right um, producer, like our suppliers, and then figuring out that kind of avenue with it. So we went through a couple different you know, at least through the initial screening of until we lock something down more than one production partner to make sure we found the right one. And we've had to really develop a really tight and um, good knowledge on our raw materials because we have to have an SOP to have more than one supply partner. And, you know, I think that's ever more important with the unpredictability of everything going on in the world, you know? Right. So, well, um, and more now so, than ever, I mean, especially on the sourcing side. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. So uh, trying to figure going through some of those pains early, I think helps with resiliency later on. Sure. So um, it, it happens and it happens a lot. I've heard of um, fellow entrepreneurs or co-packer burns down. Right. You know, it's like so crazy. Things, 
yeah. things happen and it's it seems like the worst day ever but you never know it might push you to where you need to be anyway so no doubt now who um were you targeting as your consumer and you know how did you know your product was something that they would want to buy did you do testing did you what did that look like yeah, I was able to leverage grants early on. So we were able to actually do, it was kind of fun going back to, you know, big food and bed world. Sure, absolutely. A great consumer test, get that data and was able to validate that early on before even kind of going into market, um, which was great for us. And I think de-risking for um, a lot of things. And then also just kind of getting it out, um, getting in the hands of people. I think the best feedback I got, I was getting feedback from anyone I could. Didn't know what it should be, what it should look like, was getting out there. I was just describing it as, you know, to a bartender telling him about it. Oh, this is great. It's vodka. He was like, world doesn't need another vodka. (laughs) That feedback early was so critical. (laughs) Right. How do you differentiate, right? Yeah. So when you weave it in, it's just testing it and honing it and figuring out what gets you excited. And a lot of times what gets you excited, you know, connects with other people and and that energy. Um, So trying to do that as much. And we end up launching our product in middle of COVID. So, you know, for us, it was awards and testimonials and like anything we could do to still connect with people in a way that was remote. So it's, it's, it's getting it out there and making sure what you think it should do and how it should make people, you know, feel and enjoy, like is actually happening to make sure you're doing the job right. Wow. Love that. Um, the Alcobev market is an interesting one in terms of distribution. So wh- how did you figure that part out? And did you know, what was your approach to the market? Yeah, and we're still kind of um, going into it. So we ended up hitting, again, launch September 2020, um, which was really tough time, but in sometimes also a little bit of a blessing. It opened up a lot more options for three-tier compliance client DTC. Um, it's really okay. hard. For Explain small. that to our audience. So <laughs> direct, yes. DTC is direct to consumer for all that are listening. And three tier is the distribution model for alcoholic beverage in the US. <laughs> Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> so like, that's kind of the, the navigation with it, like what we can and can't do and how we can reach consumers and where, and that can be extra challenging um, for a unique product. Um, independent company, a newcomer to the industry and that. And that's why I think you see a lot of that tasting room up model um, where we're very much on brand impact focused outward. Got it. Um, so trying to navigate that was interesting. But three-tier compliance is essentially um, a lot of partners ended up opening up. They provide a platform through your website that orders can come through, but everything still funnels through all of the legal tiers that needs to. So there's licensed retailers doing our fulfillment, but we're able to partner very closely with them and bring people in telling our story through our website and connecting them on where they can get it and trying to make that a smooth transition. So um, that was something really new and there was a lot more opportunities for that, especially with COVID opening up and that. So in some ways, all the challenges that came with it and not being able to do tastings and all of that 
we were able to kind of carve a little avenue to actually tell our story. That's pretty so cool. So we focused on, you know, podcasts like this and, and <laughs> right. press and, and just trying to spread that way word and totally. get that momentum. And that's been able to show us that, hey, there's national relevance to our brand and our story and our impact. And then we've been able to take that back down to like retailers and traditional distributors to, you know, have a seat at that traditional table. So, totally. you know, it was kind of an entrepreneurial path, but it was really just like how, how to navigate, you know, what's getting thrown at you in the situation. Yeah, no doubt. That's so interesting. Um, was there a point when you're like, okay, I think we got something here. Like, you know what I mean? It's one thing get, you're getting product made, your friends and family think it tastes good, but there's also a point where people are buying it that you don't know and you're like seeing upward trend. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a point when you're like, guys, I think this is, we got some legs, you know, it's got legs here. Yeah. I mean, every day is exciting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. the roller coaster of it. Every time you get, you know, picked up random right. orders or word of mouth. Like now it's like when we're at tastings and people have heard of uh, from us, about us from someone else from someone else like that's what you're like okay it's starting to go um and that uh there's a couple things for me just personally and like being technical you know we're entering um we we kept a narrow focus just tried to do some of the top spirit awards you enter them blind they don't know what they're tasting we won double gold in new york we won a good food award. We won gold in San Francisco. You know, so these are the top competitions in the world. We're completely upcycled. Right. <laughs> We're an outsider to the industry. And, and you know, at least from a quality perspective, we're, you know, being validated for a seat at the table. So, like, when people love it, when people, you know, send us photos or get excited, that's one thing. But also kind of being able to validate that with an impact, environmental impact awards or, yeah. you know, quality awards those feel good too you know it's really cool no i totally get it i you know the, your early days as you're launching and growing your brand we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our show um what would be two or three lessons learned you'd share with them and you i, I want to and i want to ask you to fill it you know to answer that but one thing you mentioned earlier was this whole tension of your day job versus spending you know investing in the time in this would you talk a little bit more about that and then also share maybe a couple other lessons yeah, I think I think if you're going to I ended up doing wayward, you know, once I graduated pretty much full time. I didn't go back into industry, even though I never technically left, <laughs> you know, kind of sure. building this and, and the connections we've done and some of the collaborations and everything to bring it to market um, and that. So I have been in full time and I think, you know, I. Everyone has a different situation, but I think once you kind of decide to go, you really got to go full time. If you can, if you're still testing, if it's something you want to do, I think it's great to do part time. But, you know, the I think both the lesson and the thing that comes with it is you can't plan life. Right. That's <laughs> and you sure. have to be able to, you know, respond quickly and take advantage of opportunities or fix 
things quickly and that's hard to do if you're juggling a ton of different things. Um, and chances are you're going to be a solo founder or have a very small lean team. Right. So like you kind of have to days. have, that's right. um, oh yeah. And, and, you know, in those early days, you're so close to everything. That's where you really learn. Um, sure. and that's how I think you can build a great product because you are so close. Um, and that, so I, that, that's my take and that's the journey I, I took with it. Um, and that, but yeah, I, I think just, um, any advice, other advice is, you know, there's a lot of pattern matching and a lot of like, oh, this is the hot thing run here. And like, if you can do that, that's could be amazing, but like, you know, that whole wayward mentality is doing things differently for the right reasons. And we fundamentally just believed in that and stuck to it. And sometimes things take time, but that's how innovation and category creation and sometimes opportunities really arise. So, you know, figure out what that is and stick to it. And it might be hard or a big educational hurdle in the start, but that can really pay dividends in the long run. So don't be afraid to be different. Um, and, and, Try to build your herd to your community around you. Love it. That's so great. Um, such a cool story. Great product. Excited for you and where it's headed. Uh, love your packaging, by the way. It's really nice, um, clean, and like, it, you know, you want to go check it out, which I think is really cool. Hey, Emily, um, so excited for you and where your product is going. And um, I want to make sure our listeners know where to find you, where to buy product, et cetera. How about share some of your links and um, where they can um, access you, reach out, et cetera. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to connect. Um, you can take advantage of that three-tier compliant DTC by visiting waywardspirit.com. And that's W-H-E-Y-W-A-R-D, spirit. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, um, on LinkedIn um, or on Facebook and would love to connect through our website and, um, you know, welcome you to our herd. I love it. Emily Darchuk, founder and CEO of Wayward Spirit. So great having you here. I can't wait to see um, where you are in only the next couple of months and year. You got to come back on and share more stories with us, us, Emily. It's been so great having you. It's been awesome. Cool. Cheers, Justin. Cheers. <laughs> The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.